Hey guys, it's uh, Steven and Simon from Streamplay.io here. We're bringing you another podcast uh, today on esports and gaming news. Uh, with us is actually one of my really close friends when I was a uh, from when I was a professional gamer back in you know, 2011, 2012, 2013. Uh, his name is Puck. Plays StarCraft II professionally as of now. Just in case you never heard of us before, don't know much about us. Uh, between me and Simon, there's about 10 years of gaming and esports experience between the two of us. Uh, I was a professional gamer for about two years. I played for the team called Fnatic, which is one of the biggest uh, esports franchises as of today. And uh, after I retired as a professional gamer, I worked at Curse, which is known for Curse Boys. And uh, they were recently bought out by uh, Twitch TV, which is also uh, Amazon. And uh, now I'm basically here working as a marketing manager for uh, Streamplay.io. And uh, my colleague, Simon, he's currently not here right now, but I'll do a small introduction about him. He is formerly a top-ranked World of Warcraft arena player. Uh, basically, same thing in terms of competitiveness as StarCraft back in the days. Uh, did a lot of key project management, did a lot of marketing for mobile games. Now he's working with me more on a lot of operations and uh, marketing aspect of uh, Streamplay Dial. Uh, but can you... Uh, Hey everybody, my name is Brandon Qual. I go by the handle Puck, and I'm a StarCraft II professional. I am 26 years old, and I come from Fargo, North Dakota, a very, very unpopulated area, you could say, and Mm -hmm. very cold winters. Most people where I'm from pretty much just farm, so it's kind of rare to have, like, anyone professional gaming where i'm from so but uh anyways i picked the handle puck not from a hockey reference but uh from dota 2 for those of you wondering at all oh yeah so So, um how did you start to become a pro gamer it's kind of uh very interesting i think compared to the rest of us here well i was playing warcraft 3 Mm-hmm. Like this custom map, like not the actual like Warcraft three strategy game, but like a custom map with inside of it called Risk Devolution, mm-hmm. where it's just like it's it has like a similar concept where you can build an economy and like mass units and attack, but it was much different and there's like more diplomacy that went into more like an arcade feel during that time. And uh, they were starting to talk about StarCraft 2. And I was not interested in StarCraft because they didn't have chat channels at the time. So, like, I never thought I'd pick it up because it, was just, it wasn't the same Battle.net experience at, at the time. I mean, I don't think to this day it's had that experience. But mm-hmm. they, they were pretty involved with StarCraft at the time. And uh, they are talking about how good they were. So... I was like extremely competitive. I've never played StarCraft 2 at all. And uh, I told them that I'm like a semi-professional at the game. And uh, this went on for about a week, just bantering back and forth. And then I eventually picked up the game and mm-hmm. uh, and I placed into bronze, which is like uh-huh. the, the very bottom. And I'm like, oh shit, if I'm ever going to show show my friends up, I'm going to have to practice really hard. So, like, within, like, a week of just playing, like, I, I've I noticed myself improve. And uh, I can actually I can actually recall my first game I, I ever had. It was, like, there was this in-base expansion with rocks in the back, and uh, I, I masked up to carriers, like, with every single base on the map, except for, like, two. And I lost to someone that went Mass Raven, this is how bad I was. Like he was literally two bases, and I lost to someone that had Mass Raven. That sounds the good old days, right? Yeah, and then, but like, like I was saying earlier, like I was, I was improving a lot. Like within the first week, I, I, I made it to Diamond, I believe, within the first week, and then the first month I made it all the way to Masters. Oh, and then during the first two weeks, though, like I was like. Sh- I can do this, you know, like I, I felt, I felt alive. Like I, I could literally become a professional gamer, sit at home, play video games all day and make a living doing it. You know, like every, every gamer's dream that's 
sitting, going home after high school, playing video games, being as nerdy as possible. But yeah, like, I, I thought about, well, it would be cool to do a living. Like, I knew there was, like, something, like, I knew there was, like, professional sport or esports, but, like, I didn't know to what extent they actually existed until, like, I, I really started getting involved with StarCraft, too. Mm. So I, I just kept searching and searching for more information, more information. I, I would watch professional players play, and I would try to copy the specific mechanical traits that they have. Because at the, at the beginning of it all, like it, it's, it's not a strategical-based game at all. Not right. when you're first playing. Like, it's yeah, it's, not it's like helpful. super mechanical, right? Yeah, it's all super mechanical. The only time where strategy really comes into play is at the highest possible level. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's just, there's just you can't have like strategy unless you have perfect execution of a strategy to begin with. So you could, you could, you could literally. Like you could do the worst possible build against like a gold level player as a professional player, and you could still make it look easy. Like that's how important being able to execute things is in StarCraft. Right, definitely. So yeah. Uh, where definitely. Hmm? Oh, go ahead. Let's just yes. get out there. No worries, no worries. Um, yeah, that was a really good and insightful introduction. Again, like for those of you who don't know, Park definitely is the uh, one of the best players around North America and around the world right now for StarCraft 2. And he started from the very, very bottom. So that kind of brings us up to our topics today, which is uh, talking a little bit more about how a, you know, you hear the stories about people just become really good at the game, were really good at the game from the beginning, and then they just easily rising up to the professional side. Um, well, here we have a story that's a little bit more about someone who didn't start off really well, didn't have the environment as much as someone like me, who um, essentially played the game StarCraft 2, for example. I played StarCraft 1 and was a semi-pro, so it was a really easy transition for me to come into StarCraft 2 and literally became like a master level player within two or three days due to the mechanics I've had so far. Um, and that's the first topic we'll kind of talk a little more about with Puck. And then the second part, we actually, uh, it's going to be related to StarCraft uh, because there's actually a, a really big announcement recently by Blizzard, which is a, uh, remax, uh, the remaster of uh, StarCraft Brood War, which was the iconic first ever only eSport game coming from South Korea. We'll talk a little bit more about that, get Puck's opinions, and we'll go from there. So... Again, we want to uh, bring the topic back to you, Puck, and just kind of get more insights from you because you said a lot about, you know, how you kind of had the feeling to become a professional gamer and uh, knowing you can do it is, like, obviously the important part. But I just kind of want to get your opinion a little bit on, you know, the kind of things that people don't realize, you know, like the hardships and also just... You know, from the place where you are, which where there's obviously not a lot of people, you know, you probably have friends and family that sort of disapprove of the way you do things. So how do you kind of combat these kind of things? And uh, just kind of tell us the full story, you know. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about your family, talk about people, the people you interact with. And, like, the first tournament you ever enter, for example, you know, just kind of uh, let, let, us, let us understand you a little more. So I think... For the most part, anyone that's trying to compete in something that's not looked at as a pathway to success, it's it's going to be stressful. Whether it's being, I want to become a professional horse jockey, or I want to I want to art for a living, like anything that's unconventional is going to be kind of a, a strain because. To be able to succeed, you have to do it literally better than everybody else, or you have to have something great that's original, something that's gonna like carry your name for for years to come. It's obviously gonna be next to 
possible to like sustain yourself and, and live a satisfied life. So it's going into it, you, you need to understand a lot of the risks and evaluate how you want to move forward with life to, to make sure you can meet all of your goals that you may have beyond your immediate goals, like set such like a family or something. So right. with me personally, I, I never wanted to commit a hundred percent to Starcraft. And I, and to this day, I've probably only done like a semester off of school total for Starcraft, but like, I've always balanced like something secondary besides Starcraft in my life. Like I've, I, I've been involved with furthering my school. Um, while competing so it, it's it's really hard to balance it all i maybe take like two to three courses a semester just because i i need to still try and achieve what i feel i can do and achieve my dreams while i'm young because not everyone gets an opportunity to to chase something like this and i've been gifted this i've had a supportive family i've had all the possible means to do what I want. So I, I've taken advantage of a lot of those means and uh, I, I'm pretty satisfied with my life. I, I'm pretty satisfied to know that my, my family loves what I do. They, they love being involved. My mother watches my stream all the time. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, they're watching me even though I have to miss Thanksgiving for a tournament they're watching me on thanksgiving on the big screen so wow. it's, it's really it's really a fascinating feeling to know that your family supports you playing video games as your profession for sure, so, for sure. yeah so you mentioned a little bit about um basically not committing to a video game especially like starcraft basically similar to how i was doing it but i think um i was probably jumping out of the bandwagon quite quickly just uh, due to the nature of graduation through university and so forth so do you think that's like a normal thing or like an issue for a lot of pro gamers that are going into esports right now let's say if someone who is a professional or overwatch or uh heroes of the storm i i think even though esports may be a lot more accepted now I, I also feel like a lot of parents at the same time will try to lead them away from it mm -hmm. just because it's it's still a very high risk. It's like esports is very unlikely to get you a scholarship in, in school. Like a, a lot of the reason why school like parents support sport behavior is because they, a lot of them were involved with it when they were kids, but also also, there, there's potential for success with it through college or other means. So, with start, like video games, like it, it's it's rare that you can find any scholarship potential. So, now that parents are like aware that esports is a thing, like I don't I, I don't know. It'll be probably just like any other time. Like parents just don't want their kids on the, the computer too much, but like having them involved with esports might also be like, I don't want my kid to grow up being an esports star. I want my kid to go through school. Right. I mean, so, it's the risk reward, right? Like, you're almost guaranteed to get yeah. a job if you uh, graduate from universities compared to this is where it's like, kind of like how we are right now, which is trying to make it a dream. And then many bodies will be light on the way, paved the way for you to walk over. So, you know, I, I feel like the, a lot of these dreams are going to just get shattered uh, purely just from a competitiveness itself. Since there's no really physical necessities, like remember one of our good friends, Kane, he was actually a handicapped person, but he was one of the best players I've met in such a long time and uh, sure. so forth, you know. So um, I actually want to bring in Simon and kind of get his thoughts on being a professional gamer or like just his thoughts on how an average gamer could transform into something like a professional and what that means from 
someone who's played World of Warcraft, which is a very different genre compared to StarCraft 2 as a almost professional or professional level. Hey guys, um, I'm in here. I've played a bit of World of Warcraft 3 versus 3 competitively. I've played some local tournaments as well while I was at university in the EU region. And that was, I would say, around season 9, 10, 11, 12 uh, for World of Warcraft. And at the time, I would say World of Warcraft probably had one of the smallest esports team. Well, probably not as developed. I wouldn't say the smallest, but probably not as developed as the other games at the time. For that game, to get to the top level, you have to practice day on end. Like any other esports game, you probably played at least seven or eight hours on end, day after day, um, to get to the highest level. And once you were there, you would notice, or once you were able to get there for the first time, you noticed that at this level, it was a completely separate level from the average good or veteran player in 3 versus 3. The people at the top still had a massive skill advantage or mechanics advantage over the people that were a little bit below that. So there was a difficulty factor if you wanted to become the best in 3 versus 3 arena. And of course, there were different comps that different players were better at playing. Um, but just to get into that kind of 3 versus 3, you have to master your comp, but also at the same time be very, very skilled and practice days, days on end. Um, I personally didn't go down the path of becoming very competitive. I was more very, very a, a massive fan of the 3 versus 3 arena. And so I played it a lot and I was able to get pretty good and um, get into the top five, I would say, in EU in terms of teams. And I had a team. I had other two other players that I played with for a few years. So that was also a big factor. They were also really good on practice days on end. Um, so breaking to the scene, it's not only a factor, I would say, of how you have to be really good and really committed at the same time, but you also really have to have an interest, um, a massive, massive, kind of interest and love of a game and also um, aspiration to become not only the best player, but becoming an esports player itself. It's it's a difference between becoming a good player or a best player in the thing, but, but being an esports representative of that community. There's a difference in this. Um, so, like I was saying, you have to be committed to the game, you have to practice hours and end. Um, but you also have to have that passion, which is what puts you aside from the average good player. So, at the end of the day, there's a lot of risk. And like um, you were saying before, the family support goes a massive way to helping you kind of break in. And... The support is a is a massive deal for you. It means a lot to you, and it helps you kind of. Conf it's not only a confidence booster, but it also eases your mind and heart into kind of becoming an esports person or a competitor. Um, but I think with people not going into industry, and I can understand the people that are also really really good at the game, but they don't want to become esports players. Um, they probably don't see that sense of security as much, or or there there probably isn't that strong sense of security in the industry right now. You're not guaranteed a long term career uh, deal, perhaps, unless you're at the very top for that community or that game. Um, so there's a lot of risks in this area. You don't have many guarantees. Um. Whereas if you took a more traditional career path, you would be more guaranteed to, what's it called, have a more secure life, I would say. Um, so there's, there's two things. It's about having a very, very strong degree of passion, more than the average good player. But at the same time, being able to kind of look past those risks and 
yeah, look past those risks. And so those two things kind of help you kind of break through. Without those, we wouldn't really have esports people. Mm. Yeah, that's very uh, interesting. I kind of want to you talk a little bit about you know the passion side. I kind of want to bring that back a little bit. I mean, I think we're all a little bit passionate about the game we play. However, again, the risk and reward is definitely there in terms of uh, just essentially your your career path. You know, and I want to bring uh, Brandon Puck here and just kind of talk a little bit more about you know the sort of hardships. You know, it's the kind of it's the topic that everybody has their own opinions on, their own experience. Um, however, you know, it's it's like you know. Just like every other gamer that's ever done an interview, probably heard a thousand times. Like your friends make fun of you, your friend doesn't make make fun of you, and so forth. But I want to kind of get Puck's opinion on this because you know you did have your basically your family kind of support it, your friends supports a little bit, but it's like the outside harassments, the dedication, the hardship, like the money side, the the public opinions of you, you become a public figure, how do you feel about that and how people treat you a certain way will affect the way you play the game. And I've That's happened to me personally. want to hear a little bit of your opinion on this. And um, just, just you know, your average, uh, your, your basic opinion on average gamers and why people should choose this sort of path. You know, for me and you, I think it's more about the competitiveness. I mean, we're obviously passionate, but... I wouldn't say we're as passionate as the top level players who are dedicated to play this game since like it was released. So the the thing with choosing a lifestyle that is that of say becoming a professional esports player is the unpredictability of what your income actually is going to be. I especially for like a game like like any esport actually, like even League of Legends, like there's there's players out there that make just bare minimum to survive as well. Um but in general it's like one month you'll have like an amazing month you and you come off with like nine thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars feeling amazing and then the next month is just like I barely scrapped up a couple grand and uh, I, I, I'm feeling very uncomfortable with my life because it, it feels like there's no consistency. And then the next month is like even worse. Like you, you'll come off with like maybe $1,500. Your, your stream didn't go too well. Like, there, like there's many alternatives for income for for competitors like streaming, maybe they're doing some kind of coaching or anything like that. So there's tutorials that you could sell or something. I, like there's many people that will pay for some kind of service if you're professional at it. But um, it, you just never know what your payout's gonna actually be. It's like how many times do you give it another try? before you just decide this isn't going to be my lifestyle anymore. And then it it also challenges you as a human being, not only trying to make yourself resourceful, but also in the sense of coping with new situations in the sense of people treat you different. Like you're taken from a society where you socialized all the time with people in person, your friends over text, or even like people playing on video games. But the moment where you take your whole entire involvement within an online community and you start putting your face out there at the same time, and then people start recognizing you, like... It's not going to you're not going to come out the same person per se. It's going to it's going to change you. It's going to challenge you because your response is to, to weird situations where people are asking you more of interesting things whether it be a help for they're asking for like a question and then you don't answer the question properly. Like there's going to be many people asking you questions like in the terms of like you being a teacher for instance, 
how often do you get asked how do I do this on a daily basis like this becomes like an everyday thing and, and there's people that ask paragraphs upon paragraphs pages worth of of questions and then there's people that will message you like the most open-ended question is like how do I make myself sound like a good person you know like you you want to be the best person you can be but like a lot of these situations will be like kind of a hassle at times but like you have to answer them you know like that's how i feel like i feel obligated to help people and uh, I, w I want to help people but sometimes it can be very mentally draining yeah. so and and then and then there's people that like will try to socialize with you as much as possible and, and it's like how do you it, just, it tests your limits you know like it, it just really tests you as a person for sure, for sure. And then you also have to like do public speaking. You have to have performance. Like you're literally put to the limit. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I mean, people around our age when we started, it's like maybe nineteen, twenty, twenty-one at the most. Like we don't really know anything about the world, and we're basically putting a show on for hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world. And it can be really stressful, you know, coping with basically people who generally want to know you, people who think they're your friends, but they're not really going to talk to you as much as they can, versus people who, you know, criticize you for your behaviors, for your languages, which doesn't really involve them much at all. It's like a lot of mental stress, and I feel like that's a hardship that a lot of people don't talk about. I mean, ignorance is a bless, but, you know, I feel like ignoring issues or things that are said to you as a public figure can be difficult to deal with. So I think with that said, we're going to uh, close off this topic. And uh, we talked a lot about just kind of the dif different sort of hardships people are getting, well, Puck at least, and the insights are really good. Um, it's definitely a lot of recommendation for you guys who are thinking of getting into esports or have a friend who are trying to get into it. Uh, probably the best advice is the most earnest advice that you will get from anybody. And um, so, anyways, we're let's move on to the uh, next topic, which is the Blizzard's announcement of the remaster of StarCraft Blue War. Uh, I personally really, really like the fact that they made the StarCraft Blue War. Is uh, for me, I uh, started watching StarCraft Blue War. From Korea, using like Gom TV, like the client, and also like a different client back in like way back in the days of like 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008. Um, watching those StarCraft 2 players play at 3 or 4 in the morning and going to school at 7 in the morning was pretty difficult, but those were the best days. And uh, I, I was a semi professional for StarCraft Brood War, made to like B plus, B minus ish uh, on iCup, which is one of the uh, server rankings for uh, how good you are around the world, basically. So I'm really excited about this remaster. They're basically remaking the skins. And um, on the other hand, they I think Blizzard, the reason why they're doing this is also to try to bring their franchise back. They're basically trying to save their esports scene. I feel like, I don't know, Hapak hasn't really talked a lot about the StarCraft scene, the competitive scene itself, but I would assume it's sort of dying. We can kind of see it from its subreddits. Um, the price pool is not as big as other games. There's not a lot of hype behind it and so forth. Um, what do you make of all of that, Puck? Like, uh, what do you think about the new changes? They're bringing back StarCraft. They're trying to revitalize their esports scene for StarCraft and get their fans back. I feel like StarCraft is in a very stagnate position right now. Like, it's not really moving in either way. I, I don't actually have the numbers presented in front of me, but through my involvement within the scene, like it doesn't feel like too much is changing per se. Mm -hmm. um, it, the the War remake isn't going to affect StarCraft II, I don't think in any way, shape, or form, simply because it's an entirely a different game. The people involved with the StarCraft II scene that play at a professional level 
have committed time to play StarCraft II at a professional level where even attempting to make a switch with a game that has very me- interesting like mechanical tricks to be able to even perform to begin with doesn't really seem too plausible. And then, like I said earlier, like even within like the Korean scene, like it, there's they they're not brutal or professionals that are playing at the highest level. Like they're they're not gonna be your Flash or your Jay Dong by switching from StarCraft Two back to Brood War. Like they're gonna be I, they probably won't even be able to compete, I wouldn't I wouldn't think. So they're gonna stick with like the the, ro- the roles that they have right now with StarCraft Two, I presume. Obviously there's gonna be lots of hype with like maybe a lot of like your general populace potentially playing the game for like maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months maybe a couple days, like, I, I don't know however long they wanted to, to play it, but, like, the bottom line is, I still feel like the StarCraft II scene will remain pretty much the same. I could I could see things going maybe a little bit quieter, but it, there's still potential that maybe all these people that are playing Brood War are like, well, I really want to give StarCraft II a try now, so... You know who who really knows? I can't predict the future like that. So, I I feel like Blizzard is providing a service to people of a different demographic. It's not necessarily going to be your average age video game consumer. It's going to be people that have experienced the Brood War franchise and want to relive that experience again like they're not trying to get the younger generation involved like it's a very complex game it's it's gonna be too hard to play people aren't gonna have much self-efficacy after trying to play it like the first 10 games and then like i i don't feel like that's their goal I, i i think the goal is generally to provide a nostalgic feeling for people that are around the ages 25 to 35 who have already experienced what Brood War is and may want to see it again in a better detailed setting. Cool. Uh, I want to bring Simon in. What do you think uh, about this? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, I agree with what Pop said to a certain extent. Um, well, to a lot, actually. Um, with the Blizzard's probably looking at this and thinking, "Oh, Brood War is probably one of our most iconic." Yeah, content. most iconic. Um, in terms of success, I'm not too sure if it was their most successful. What would you say? Uh, I would say so. I mean, it brought in, in sales. Sales was definitely yes. pretty good. I would say, like back in the this, days this where is... it was CDs. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very, very popular. Uh, it probably rivals Diablo. Um, I, I mean, just between the StarCraft games itself. It was very popular, for sure. The campaigns were really good. And I feel like the only reason why StarCraft kind of evolved into eSport and kind of made other titles more of an eSport title is because it had such a huge fan base, mm-hmm. uh, both offline and online for the campaigns and the multiplayer aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, hmm? sorry, you go ahead. I think one of the biggest things about the classic, like, Blizzard franchises, like, the different games, is uh, they're placed in a much darker setting. Like, it, it just feels a lot more aesthetically using, like, the sounds, the, the visuals. It's, it's not like, like, StarCraft 2, when I play StarCraft 2, I feel like, the graphics have been updated in such a way that makes it feel like more meant towards being attracted to a younger demographic, maybe people in their teens, maybe right off college. Like it's not the same graphic style that it used to be. For sure, for sure. And, um. and I feel like I feel like if StarCraft Two had that kind of graphics set like it, it would be a much better game <clears throat> yeah and i believe with starcraft having not being the most successful esports game at the moment 
and um, with other types of stuff like League of Legends, Dota, and what have you, Counter-Strike being more successful and um, easier to kind of learn um, than I would say StarCraft, and even up to a high level. Um, by bringing, by remastering StarCraft Brood War, it isn't really aimed at kind of the younger generation because the younger generation would normally look to the most successful, more successful games at the moment, um, games their friends are playing or games that have a lot of exposure on, say, streaming platforms, Twitch. So most of the people are probably streaming League of Legends. Most people probably streaming Dota. Overwatch is up and coming. Um, in the esports scene, so StarCraft Brood War remasters, like um, like what Puck said, trying to tap on that feeling of nostalgia that people had um, when they were playing the game, the first game, and those people are already at minimum probably most of the players that played the game when it just came out are probably around twenty five to thirty. And um, that's who they're going to be aiming at. Of course, they would love to um, bring in new players, and I'm sure new players would want to try out the game because it's an iconic Blizzard game, and you would have new people coming into the game. Um, but I don't think that is the main aim. It's kind of targeting the people that played the game before. And it would, I assume, one of the goals on top of trying to bring back old users is to kind of revitalize the community and um, have revitalized um, the amount of people that are playing the game um, because those numbers are probably not as good as it was I would say a year or two back um, so by revitalizing the community it will probably bring people back to watching esports e tournaments um, and potentially even bringing in a certain amount of new people into the game, which could potentially have some effect on its esports scene. But you never know. I mean, you could have miracles. It could blow up. It could be completely... They could bring in something completely unexpected in the remaster, but um, you never know. But um, more likely than not, the esports scene would probably not explode to how um, many veterans would perhaps like it to. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me just put a few of my points into uh, what I think about uh, Brood War or Master. Uh, so I'm going to definitely talk a little bit about streaming, which is uh, very, very interesting nowadays because. Most people, you know, they, when they watch streams, they want to understand what's going on, which is why the community streamers are typically not the best players. You know, they, they're more entertainers. It's easier to understand what they're doing and so forth. And with games like StarCraft Brood War, like, it, I, mean, I mean, when I even when I play StarCraft 2, when I stream, I feel like most people can't understand what the hell I'm doing half the time because I'm moving so fast that it's like, that's why I'm a professional in the first place. Is I'm moving a lot faster. People don't really know what's going on. They just say, "Well, this game is cool. I guess he's playing really fast. I can't relate." And if and this, it's not even fast in StarCraft Two in comparison to StarCraft One. If you ever seen a first-person VOD of Flash playing Brood War, like you can't follow this guy because he's got like 400 actions per minute, 500 actions per minute. So in terms of modern-day stream streamable streamability. In terms of streaming on Twitch, that's I feel like that's going to be a failed campaign if they, that's what Blizzard is going for. But I feel like again, when when you watch it, like when you watch, you know, when there's only about twelve units you can select per group in Brood War, and you're basically fighting each other with armies between the two players, it's very good. It's very interesting. It's very enjoyable to watch because there's actions everywhere. But you know, you're you're not seeing what the players are doing. You're seeing the whole picture, and I feel like as a genre that's basically has no contest, but it's also kind of dying out a little bit. It's it's a good way to just give it a try. It's like Blizzard's ran out ideas and say, well, guys, well, 
you know, fuck it, let's try it. You know, let's try it. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, it's still going to generate some money and it's going to bring some people back to love, like our thing. And if StarCraft truly is not popular anymore, we can make Warcraft 4 or something, you know, things like that. And I feel like that's, that's the kind of goal that Blizzard is going for. Do you have any thoughts on this, Puck? I honestly don't, like, think it costs Blizzard that much even to try and implement this, this remaster. Like, they're essentially upgrading the dimensions of the game. Like, they're not making huge graphical changes, not any mechanical changes. Like, a lot of the coding has remained the same. It's just literally changing... Oh, it's changing, like, some of the graphics, but, like, I don't know how to exactly explain it. Like, it's yeah. just, like, scaling it differently, you know? Yeah, like, it just looks like a cheap version of trying to make as much money as you can from somebody who's, uh, you know, just like kind of like an outside fan. Kind of. Yeah, but I mean... But, like, it, I doesn't think... really, it, it doesn't really need much, you know? Like, people are going to love it no matter what. Yeah, I mean, also, I think people like the broken mechanics of Brood War, like the Reaver Scarabs, yeah. if you've ever seen it, or like the Corsair Tricks, uh, things like that. It's it's just really cool and fun to see, you know? It makes it feel like you, you've done something that no one else knows how to do, you know? Like, it's not present, like it's not like a, a skill that's presented right in front of your face telling you how to do it. It's like something that you can only find by being involved with the community. Right. I also think hmm, Blizzard definitely wants to get the esports aspect out there again. Um, like I said earlier, I feel like since the real-time strategy genre is sort of dying, and but you know, esports the the industry itself is growing at a really rapid pace. You know, Blizzard probably thinks, of, why not let's just modernize something that worked well in the past, very well, especially in South Korea, like. Literally the only game that people knows and plays. So I think people used to joke about South Koreans all know how to play StarCraft. If you want to marry their daughter, you have to, you know, beat their dad at StarCraft or something like that. But you also have to humbly lose because, you know, of China, or Asian, Asian, uh, Asian culture and so forth. So um, it, it's, it's kind of interesting where things are going uh, with the way Blizzard's thinking. Because I feel like they're trying to essentially go for it one last time, but also putting a lot of resource, putting a lot of money into growing the esports scene itself, you know, basically fixing the game because there's nothing wrong with the game for 10 years since, uh, you know, basically it was a esport in Korea. So why not just keep it the same, upgrade the graphics and revitalize the scene, pour more money into the scene so that you'll be recognized on a national level again, potentially by South Korea. I don't... I don't necessarily think Blizzard needs to be esports orientated to be successful. Like their their brand is is already so strong that people buy their products no matter what it is. Like how many people like how many people do you think that play World of Warcraft also purchase other games or vice versa like Diablo 3? How many of them play, also play have played Overwatch or StarCraft? Like almost all of them buy all of Blizzard games. You know, like the People aren't gonna care if it's an esport as long as like there's something competitive with it or there's something unique about it. Right, agreed. Um, I just feel like they want to get into the industry though, you know, um, because right now like they don't really have a game that's in the industry. Before it was just only StarCraft. There was no comp- com- competition, and now there's a lot of competition. And they've, I would say they've basically failed on two occasions where Overwatch didn't necessarily become an eSport, even though it was the game of the year. It was great. And that was directly competing against Counter-Strike, I would say. The next game is going to be Heroes of the Storm, which I played a lot in the past, and it was a great game, but it by no means had any sort of indication of doing well compared to games like League of Legends and Dota 2, which are very, very strong still. So I think this is just like a cheap way from the experiment. I mean, I really wanted to pour in a lot of money because I love the way how StarCraft was working back in the days. But, I, you know... I don't, you don't think I so? I don't really think 
I don't really think e or Blizzard is esports orientated. The, no. I think they're trying though, at least for Heroes. I definitely think they were trying, especially with uh, the new league season they have. I would uh, it's... kind of agree with what Puck's saying here. I mean, if you look at if you take a look at Hearthstone and Overwatch, the games that are two of the more um, successful games in the esports scene, so to speak. Um, if you look at uh, Hearthstone, for example, they're pushing out new cards and tweaking so that it supports more a sort of casual and um, random gameplay. Um, th that's just putting it very uh, sim simple, simply. Um, if you look at uh, Overwatch, on the other hand, um, and compare it to Counter-Strike or Call of Duty. Of course, it's an entirely different game. Uh, everyone has, every character has abilities and what have you. But its difficulty factor um, for the highest level of play is much weaker than, say, Call of Duty or Counter-Strike. Um, at the start, when you, you're, instead of giving you loadouts like the other two games, Counter-Strike and um, Call of Duty, you're given characters which have defined builds. You have two abilities. And obviously, you're shooting and what have you. But just from the get-go, you're already um, limiting a certain skill factor by kind of uh, giving the character its own... It, it, that's the only way it can be played sort of thing. Um, so in that aspect, I think... It, of its two most popular games, it's it's kind of going against what you would say is a game with incredible skill that the professionals can kind of um, use to the advantage. And even if you look at Hearthstone, for example, the win rate of a professional at the highest level of legendary play is only a few percent higher than say, the average legendary player, even if he practices hours and hours on end every single day for weeks and months, he's only going to be able to get maybe 2 to 5% at most. 5% um, is being hopeful. Uh, that much of a higher win rate than the average uh, legendary player. So in terms of their design for games, they're kind of aiming more at the casual or not very hardcore audience, which is understandable because that's a massive market and they'd want to appeal to as many people as they can. And uh, bringing it back to StarCraft II, um, for a game to kind of become an eSport, it's important for the viewers to understand the game. Um, Stephen was talking about this before. And... Being too able to understand the game, if you're able to understand it and it's easy to watch, you're going to have more users because it's fun. But if you're not able to understand and it's not easy to follow, you're not going to get that many viewers. And that's one of the problems. Um, main blockers, I would say, that is holding back StarCraft from um, kind of becoming a much bigger eSport game. Um, because viewers can't really follow and they get bored. I mean, I personally, I've tried to watch StarCraft um, to StarCraft um, eSports games, and I do watch it, but I have a hard time understanding um, everything that's going on. And from the design of the game and the class, the genre of the game, there's not much you can do about it. It's not like you can cap the actions per minute a player can do or kind of hinder what they can do, because that would lower the skill of the game tremendously. Uh, so yeah, that's that's Blizzard Games and Blizzard, I think. Uh, sorry to cut you off, Puck. What were you going to say? It's, I, I've spoken oh, quite a lot. you're good. Um, no, that was perfect, actually. The Harvest Swarm... Or the... Hero, no, what's the Carstone example is perfect. Like they, they are essentially going more casual-based by including more random chance objects into their games more so anything else. And, like, 
for instance, taking Overwatch, for example, like, I, I feel like there's more of a focus on, like, congruency, like, within the characters themselves, like, the individual to the character is so much stronger that, like, there's, like, no emphasis on the esports aspect. Like, I don't, I haven't heard of any Overwatch championship, and I, I follow a lot of social media, like, that's never talked about. So, I, I feel like overall, like, it's just Blizzard's trying to grow a fan base in many different fashions in, in the esports focused industry or company. Sorry. Oh, no worries. That's good. Um, yeah, that's definitely really good intro inclusion on what uh, Blizzard is going to do. So I think that definitely summers are up pretty well. Um, so with that said, we're going to uh, basically end the podcast today. Yeah, it's great to have you on Park. It was really good to have your insights. I feel like you you gave an insights basically most of the other uh, pro gamers or people guests we've had so far. Uh, you had basically more different and yet it's very uh, insightful information for both you know players and also your opinions on various franchises and so forth so with that said we're going to conclude today's podcast uh this podcast is brought to you by uh, stream play dial from steven and simon and also uh, brandon puck and uh do you want to uh, do any shout outs for your social media puck sure it's a it's a pleasure being a part of this um shout out to my family that will probably eventually watch us and my supporting community um, and and my team who supports me as well Mm. so yeah thanks again for having me on yeah it would be a pleasure to have you on again anytime to give your opinion on various stuff if you have any time sure awesome cool again um, thanks for hopping on, and uh, to our viewers, uh, thank you for tuning in. If you have any feedbacks or comments or suggestions on what we want to cover next, definitely let us know. Uh, with us, and uh, that's basically it. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah, thank you.